listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. start a little series in a pretty unfamiliar book in the Bible known as Haggai. Now, you probably in the room had varying degrees of, of, of exposure to the books of the Bible. And so I understand that not everybody knows where everything's at. Haggai is in the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And those guys are known as the minor prophets. So for this series, we're going to call it a minor prophet with a big message. Haggai, little known, two chapters. In fact, it's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Shortest uh, would be Obadiah, but Haggai only has around 38 verses. So we're going to stretch those 38 verses for the next four weeks as we look at what this minor prophet had to say to God's people at the time he had to say it. He's a minor prophet, but that only is referring to the size of his writing, of the size of the writing of the book connected to his name. It's not like he had a minor role. He's just one of the smaller as far as writing is concerned. And he's known as, uh, in, in the Hebrew culture, they refer to these guys as the 12, quote unquote, because that's referring to the last 12 in the Old Testament. Haggai. Haggai was a contemporary of a, another book in the Old Testament. In fact, it'll be the one that you find right behind him, and that it's Zechariah. Zechariah and Haggai were prophets in the nation of Judah at about the same time. But when you read those two books, you'll discover that one book is much more geared to the things that are happening in the lives of the people at that time in that day. And that's the book of Haggai, whereas Zechariah is sharing the message from God about things that are to come. And so we're excited about these two guys that were ministering together and they were doing some similar but different things that should encourage us that we're not all designed to do the same thing, but yet God uses us all uniquely in the way he's designed us with the gifts that he has given us. So as we look at this book of Haggai, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what's happening, Israel had, well, let me back up. The nation of Judah had been in captivity to the uh, larger nation known as Babylon. They had been taken into captivity because of their consistent disobedience to God's word. And it was a punishment, if you will. It was God's judgment on the nation of Judah. And they had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They had been deported in three different deportations. Many of the, uh, of the most, uh, uh, well, most of the people, but especially those of, uh, of, of good intelligence and those of, of, of means were taken to Babylon to further their culture and to learn their culture. But after 70 years in Babylonian captivity, the nation of Persia or the Medes and the Persians together overthrew Babylon 
And the king of Persia, uh, his name is Cyrus, decreed about a year after they became the ruler over the Babylonian territory, Cyrus made a decree that the Israelites were going to be allowed to go back to their homeland and to reestablish worship at the temple that was dedicated to the God Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, interestingly enough, that's not a big, huge coincidence because Isaiah the prophet decades and decades and decades earlier had announced that a king by the name of Cyrus would make a decree and that God's people would be able to return to their homeland and that's exactly what happened not because it was a grand coincidence and that's just the way it worked out but because God is sovereign and his word is true and what God says is going to happen is going to happen just like he says it's going to happen when he's ready for it to happen and that's exactly what happened? The people went back. About 40,000 Jews left Babylon and headed back to Jerusalem for a particular project, and that was the rebuilding of the temple. Because not only did Babylon take the people captive, they destroyed their city. And a part of destroying that city was the destruction of the temple that was built by Solomon, the place where the people would worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so now the people are returning with a specific mission. You'll find this mission if you look in a book earlier in the Old Testament known by the name of Ezra. Ezra will record the events of these that have come back and started the process of rebuilding the temple. Here's what happened. They made the journey in around 538 to 536 BC. They made the journey and and about a year later they established the altar. They got it rebuilt so that worship could be reestablished in Jerusalem and they offered sacrifices and they celebrated the feast that was most close to that time. And then after they finished the altar, they began to move the stones and to reestablish the foundation of the temple because they couldn't build until the foundation was restored. So they finished out the foundation. And then about the time they were ready to start rebuilding, some folks around them began to give them some trouble. These were individuals who had been connected to the Jews, intermarried with others. They were known in that time as Samaritans and would continue to be known because of the area that they lived in and because of the the fact that they were partly Jewish but not fully. And others living in the land saw the building, saw what was happening and came to the exiles that had returned and said, we'd like to help you do this but their leadership in in right decision making said we're sorry but this is not a shared project God has given us his people to do this project and this is not something that you can help us with well that just made them mad because well we're we're connect, we're cousins of y'all. I can trace my lineage back when when my great uncle and my great great grandfather. I know we have a connection to y'all. And who are you to tell us what we can and can't do? And so these folks started trouble, opposition to those who were called to rebuild the temple. And so out of fear, the Jewish people decided they had better hold off on the building project 
And this happened in about 536. And for the next 16 years, the project just laid dormant. You've probably driven by that house that was started. The foundations were poured, the block went up, the money ran out, and there it sits, rotting in no... If you've ever been in a foreign country, you see a lot of that because they don't have the building codes that we have. And they'll start building and things will be in process for the next 20 to 30 years and it'll just kind of be sitting in a holding pattern. 16 years, the temple altar had been repaired, The foundation had been restored, but the building had stopped. And in 520 BC, God sent a gentleman by the name of Haggai. We know very little to nothing about him other than his name. God sent Haggai and his buddy Zechariah to encourage the people to re-engage in the building project. Let's pick up in Haggai chapter 1, verse number 1. We're going to spend today uh, the first chapter. We're going to spend our time. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, Haggai is the most precisely dated book in the entire Old Testament. He gives us the year. He gives us the month. He gives us the day. So we can precisely identify where this happened in history. Darius is now king of Persia. And Persia is in control of all of the Babylonian territory and all of the occupied lands that they owned or had control over. So now Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire, is in control of what is going to be known as Palestine. And in the second year of Darius, King Darius's rule, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, that would translate to about August, September of our year. So the fall of the year, the, on, the, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Now notice, whose message is this to the people? It's not Haggai's, it's the word of the Lord. Through the hand or by the hand or through the mouth, if you will, of his servant. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel. That's a fun name to say. Let's say that together. Zerubbabel. No, you didn't all say it. Say it again. Zerubbabel. That's fun. I want you to find an opportunity to talk about Zerubbabel this week and say it's a fun word. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah... And to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. So the word of the Lord came through Haggai to Zerubbabel and Joshua. They were the leaders. You've got the governor under the control of Persia. And you've got the high priest who's there to help them to reestablish the worship, uh, the, the appropriate worship in Israel. Verse number two, here's what the word says. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Here's what God has to say. These people are saying... The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Here's what folks are saying. God says, here's what I keep hearing from my people in regards to the building project that was started 16 years ago. 
that I orchestrated under my sovereignty and under my control and through my word, I worked it out for you to be there at this time to do this project. And here's what I'm hearing you say. You know, the timing is just a little off right now. I just don't think it's... I know we've got the project to do, but things and circumstances are just not conducive to what we're supposed to be. It's just not a good time right now. Verse number three. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, and here's what God asked. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. So here's what God's saying to his people. I keep hearing you say it's not a good time for us to be building the temple. The project that we were called to do, it's just really not a good time. And God says, interesting. Is it a good time for you to be engaged in all of your own personal building projects what he said here is is it a good time for you to dwell in your paneled houses this idea of anybody ever raised in a house with paneling you know it's all over the walls you walk into it now you feel like you've stepped back in time he's like why is it so dark in here and the walls are so brown it's that idea of it's so west what we think about with paneling what what god is referring to here is a a good a good quality of living that they're building for themselves now think about it when they were sent to rebuild the temple did any of these folks have any building materials no so who supplied the building materials well you say well God supplied it that's true but who did he supply it through king of Persia So the king of Persia provided building materials and documents for them to be able to go into other parts of that that, uh, occupied land and cut down trees and and hew out stones, whatever is needed. So it seems like maybe the folks have been dipping into the resources that God had intended to be used for his project to do their thing. Now, he didn't say that, but it kind of makes me wonder if that's not what they're doing. Well, I will use this today on my house, and then we'll make sure we put it back when the time comes to continue building the temple. Kind of makes me wonder if that's not what's happening a little bit. God says, so it's not a good time for you to build the temple like I've provided for you to do, but it is a good time for you to build your own homes. Now, is God not wanting these people to live in a home? Is God wanting them to be exposed to the elements and living outside of of, of some sort of protection so that they're on the streets and they're suffering? Is that what God is wanting? The simple answer is no. That's not what God is wanting. But here's what God is saying. He's saying, hey, folks, you've misplaced your priorities. You've gotten your priorities all out of whack. You came to do the project that I've called you to do, and you started off great. But then something happened, and you've stopped doing what I've called you to do, And now you're focusing all your time and energy on what you want to do. God says, verse 5, Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
Consider your ways. Now, God's not being mean. God's not leaning over the ledge of heaven and speaking with that. No. God goes, okay. Well, let's take a minute if we can. And let's just do some evaluation. It's not a good time for you to do what I've called you to do. But it seems to be a good time for you to do what you want to do. So let's just evaluate. Let's just see what's up. Verse 6. You have sown much during this time when you've been neglecting my calling on your life and you've been doing what you want to do. Hey, by the way, you got a nice house over there, by the way. It's a beautiful house. But think about it. You've planted a lot of stuff. You've sown much. But look back at your records. It's not really been all that bumper crop, has it? You've sown a lot. You've planted a lot of seed, but you've not experienced the kind of of return that you're normally used to me provide. It's God didn't say you've sown and I've let it all die. He's not said that at all. God said, but have you noticed that what you've sown has not produced what you're used to from me? Have you noticed that? He says, not only that, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. It's like, have you noticed that you're just kind of always hungry? It's like you, you, you plant a lot, and you harvest some, and you eat, but it's like you're always needing more, and so you're always looking at the cupboard. Like, man, I'm hungry. You hungry? Yeah, but we don't have a lot. So, honey, could you please not eat that bowl of that now? Because we might need. Have you noticed that? You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so. And I love this illustration, the way he says this. He who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Now, I know that many of you have a wallet or a purse or something, and we've all made these comments like, it seems like there's holes in my wallet. You ever thought about it? You know, we say, man, there just seems to be, you know, more, more month than there is money. And I don't know. We, we get it. So what God is saying is, have you noticed that what you've planted just I mean, it's come up and you've, you've, you've had to eat, but it's just not really been what you're used to. And you, and you eat and it just doesn't seem to satisfy and you drink and you're still thirsty. You still want more. And it, and it seems like you're, you're, you're earning, you're doing, but it's like you put the money in the bag and before you know it, all the money's gone. Like, hey, did I drop some? Have you just noticed that what you're most used to from me, which would be the prosperity blessing that God had promised to his people in the, in the, in the Mosaic covenant, that if they would obey him, that he would provide for them and that he would provide in abundance have you noticed that just hasn't been the way it's been operating and I think the people were probably sitting there and and they weren't going yes but in their mind they're going yeah I have kind of noticed that yeah we we were talking about that just last harvest seems like we should be harvesting more verse 7 thus saith the Lord of hosts we'll consider your ways recognize what is happening 
I brought you here to do the project of reestablishing the worship of the Lord God in Israel. Because apart from the Lord God in Israel, Israel is of no help of them. In fact, they don't have an army. They've got no help, no hope. I want you to reestablish the worship of God in Israel so that when the rest of these people come back, they will, they will be ready and things will be prepared so that they can be back to the business of worshiping me and looking forward to that that I have promised. But you got your priorities all out of whack. You're doing your own thing, and I'm asking you to consider these things that I've told you. Consider that. Talk, talk amongst yourselves. You know, just have a conversation. Is what I'm saying true? Of course it's true. He says, here's what I want you to do. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, saith the Lord. After you've had a time to discuss... After you've had time to sort of think about what I've said, and when reality sets in and you're going, well, what do we need to do, Lord? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up and cut down some trees and bring it back down here and build the temple. That's why I brought you here. I want you to go do what I've told you to do. Verse 9, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. God says, I've called for a little bit of that judgment that you've just spent 70 years being reminded of the things that I said. I said, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you. But if you disobey me, you're going to bring on curses that I don't want for you. And you've just spent the last 70 years feeling the weight of that punishment. And I'm ready to do it again, though I don't want to do that again in your life. But here's what you need to do. You need to recognize where you've erred and get back up on track. Go do what I've called you to do. And, and the idea is that when you do, then my blessing on your life will return. And those were very specific promises that he made to Israel. Say those two words with me. To Israel in the Old Testament. He made these promises that if you will obey me, I will bless you physically, financially, uh, produce wise the land will be if you'll obey me he made those promises very specific say it with me to Israel okay so it's really up to y'all you can you can continue to track your way or you can get back on track my way and I can return the blessing to you so they studied over it they talked amongst themselves you say how do you know that well I'm gonna show you and just say what was what was the day that the message showed up First day, six month, second year, King Darius' reign. All right, so how do we know it took them a minute to talk? Well, we'll see in just a few minutes. So they talked about it. They discussed it. 
Verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what's it say, class? Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Here's what they did. They talked amongst themselves. They compared notes and they said, you know what? Based on my record, he's right. We really haven't harvested. And you know what? My month has gone way longer than my money. And you know, I have been like, it's like I can't get enough to eat. I'm thinking God means, and my clothes keep wearing out and I just, I can't get warm. And I think God's serious. You know, and they got together and, and, and the leaders with the voice of the people came back and said, you're right, Lord. We are dead wrong. We've been focusing all our energies on our project. We should be doing what you've called us to do. And we've decided to get back on track. That's what we're going to do. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And what did he say? I am with you. I think God was as excited as they were to get back on track. Hey, that's awesome. I'm so excited to hear that. Know this, I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 14, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. When? Verse 15. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius. How do I know they talked about it for a few days? Because the message was delivered on the first. When did they get rallied up and start working again? On the 24th. And this patient God just sits back, lets them consider their ways. Because guess what? His word's not changing. What God has said is true, and he's perfectly satisfied to let you decide for yourself whether or not what he says is going to be true or false. Because at the end of the day, what he says is. And it took them a few days. But after comparing notes and after, maybe they prayed about it, I don't know. Maybe they just were disengaged for another almost month. But when they came to their senses, they decided, you know what? God, you're right. God says, excellent. Know this, I'm with you. And then did you notice what happened? What did God do? God stirred them. Like, like they didn't stir themselves. All they did was respond obediently and then God did the stirring in them. Have, have you, ever, you ever been in a place where you really didn't want to do what you needed to do? Like there was a project or there was a thing that you just, you just didn't want to do it. And you've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. But then that finally you just go, you know what? I got to do it. Have you ever just made yourself start and then you discover and you go well you know what this ain't so bad I mean why, why in the world have I been waiting to do this so long this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be and you find yourself 
a little bit excited. And then before you know it, you get the project done and you're stepping back and you're looking at it and you're all excited. And that could have been like 60 days ago you could have done that. And, and your spouse reminds you that that could have been 60 days ago because it's what he wanted you or she wanted you to do. You know that stir, but when God stirs, you know, when we come forward and, okay, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. And then he goes, you know what? Then I'm going to excite you in it. Like I'm going to give you that push to where you find out, oh, okay, this wasn't as bad as I thought. And this is unique for the people because guess what the people of Israel at this time did not possess, class? What, what did they not possess at this time because he had not yet been given? Who? The Holy Spirit. And God stirred. What do we have within us that know Christ as Savior? We have the power to accomplish anything that God sets before us and what do we have we have stirred within us all we need so what do we see and I thought, what 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 is happening here well I see that fear caused God's people to quit what God had given them to do and then that fear kind of became a distraction because well we'll work on this while we're waiting on that to fix itself and and then we got distracted and then that distraction turned to apathy. Well, we'll figure that out later. We've got bigger, better things to do. This is, this is doing for me what I need to be done. And, yeah, that can, that can just wait. Then I see that God allowed them to feel the negative consequences of disobedience for 16 years. That's a long time. And then I see that God sent a messenger to encourage his people to continue in their work and to complete it. And then I see the leaders and the people respond obediently to God's word and re-engage in the work and get started where they had left off. And I see there being a stirring, I see there being a support from the God that they had ignored for 16 years. I see him standing with them and stirring them in that direction. That's what I see happening here. For these folks that had the misplaced priorities, I see God giving them the opportunity and inviting them to just recognize where they got off track and get back on track and enjoy the blessing that he promised. Now, when I read this, it would be real dangerous for us in a sermon setting. It'd be real dangerous for anyone listening to think, okay, then what you're saying is that for me to be right with God, it depends on what I'm doing. That would be wholly false. Because in just a few years, well, maybe a few hundred years, one who would be born would come called by God to establish worship between himself and his creation and to establish it in a way that worship would not be by what blood you have coursing through your veins or what rules you kept or what sacrifices you offer, but that one that would be born would say he's coming to establish worship that will be in spirit and in truth. 
And do you realize that the one who was born came and did exactly what God called him to do in establishing worship between himself and his creation? And do you know that that one came and never got sidetracked, though he was opposed by all. He never got sidetracked. He never got distracted. He stayed on course with the call that God had given him to establish worship, even though establishing worship for mankind in spirit and truth would require his gruesome and horrifying death through execution. And yet he maintained his determination. And that one to be born, we call his name Jesus. He is the eternal God, the son who put on flesh, stayed the course, never deviated, never walked away, never got sidetracked. And through his completed work in his death and resurrection, worship apart from a temple, worship apart from a sacrificial system, worship has been established for all who will through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone can be made right with God and brought into his his family having done nothing for yourself because there's nothing you can do to change your situation except seek God through Jesus in his death and resurrection. But those who know Jesus as Savior have been born into the family by faith alone in Christ. Not because of my work. I hear so many people when I'll say, you know, I'll ask them, I'll say, well, well, t- tell me, tell me about your relationship with God. I mean, if, if you were to die today, would you, would you go to, you think you'd go to heaven? And they would say, well, I sure do hope so. Well, I sure, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying real hard. Do you realize that you will never be able to try hard enough? to earn God's favor. You cannot do it. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you will never earn God's favor through your works. And there are even Christians who are today thinking all over the world, I wonder if God's still okay with me because I I hadn't been doing what I think he wants me to do. And, And I don't know, am I still in the family? Christian. You come by faith in Jesus. You're born into the family. Best I understand it, I won't ever not be a Clark. You know why? Because I was born into the Clark family. And I can be sideways with all the Clarks. And I can have them not want, you know, I can, I can exile myself from the family by my actions. But I will never cease to be a Clark. You know why? I was born into it. I, I was born into the family. It's my understanding that we're born into the family of God. And it has nothing to do with what you do. It has to do with what he did for you. But when we're in the family, we, we have, can I say, responsibilities? I mean, I mean, is it out of the ordinary for you to have children and to train them the way that they would live if they're going to maintain your name. I mean, how many of you ever, I walked out the door and had mom or dad say, now don't forget what your last name is. Why? Because you represent the family and what you do and say reflects on the family. And it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for your kids to grow up and to have opportunities 
to share in the work of the family, right? Well, what's, what's different about the family of God? Nothing. The family of God, God through his grace, through his mercy, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he gives us as a free gift eternal life by faith alone. And then we're a part of his family and he says, now guess what? I want to do some things in your life. I want to do some things through your life. He gives us opportunity and responsibility. What are some of those? Well, that's just, I'm not going to defend all of these in scripture, but if if any of these you feel like I need to come afterward and I'll show you. Here's some of the things that we know. What are the priorities that God has given to his redeemed? I'm not talking about you are trying to get to God. No, if you're in the family of God by faith in Jesus, what are some priorities that God has given us? Well, the number one priority is to make disciples. So what Jesus said before he ascended back up into glory. He said, now, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait on the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them everything that I have commanded you. I want you to make disciples. Or as we say around here, he's called us with the number one priority to reach and teach. What is reaching? It's sharing the gospel with those who have not yet trusted Christ as their savior. What is teaching? It is engaging in the discipleship of others. It is about sharing the gospel. Who's your one, by the way? You still have that one? You've been praying for them? You had an opportunity to share the gospel? When you share the gospel and they receive the gospel, then it's about you engaging in their discipleship it's a hard thing to get folks to want to share the gospel it's an even harder thing to get folks to realize that you have an ongoing responsibility to this new child that's been born and it's your opportunity and responsibility to at least teach them what you know so what is God say he says here's what I want you to do I want you to be a part, can I say it this way? I want you to be a part of the family business. Now we know it's not a business, it's, it's his redemptive plan. But I want you to be a part of it and I want you to share, I want you to witness for Christ and then I want you to teach them when they trust. So our number one priority in the family of God is making disciples. What about this? What about the responsibility that we have to represent Jesus daily through our love to others? The way that we represent Christ just simply by actions and attitudes of genuine love. As I've loved you, I want you to love one another. And that's a a priority. Jesus is like, well, Yeah, that's what I expect out of you. And you're going, yeah, but Kevin, you're putting a work on us. No, I'm not. I'm not putting a work on anything. When my boys were born, they were born into my family. They're in my family. When it comes time, and we're going to go this afternoon, we're having a life group tonight. We're going to go because the house is not ready for life group. It typically is not on the day. And so we go to eat, and then we come back home, and guess what we do? We make the house look like we want folks to think we live all the time, and we don't. 
but we make the house look that way. You, you, you know what's not out of the ordinary? It's not just, it's not my kids. It's all kids because I was this way. You know what kids typically do when it's time to clean up? Find a place to hide, all right? That's what we do. And sometimes I'll try to find a place to hide if it's something I don't want to do. It wouldn't be out of the ordinary for me to look around and go, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, I'm cleaning and she's cleaning and y'all need to be cleaning too, right? That's, that, I'm not putting a requirement on them to be in the family. I'm saying because you are a part of this family, get up and get busy. That's not, that's not requiring works to be in the family. That's expecting that we'll be a part of what the family's doing. So demonstrating the love of Jesus is not so that I can be a part of the family. Sharing the gospel is not so that I'll be in the family. It's because I am in the family. And it's a pretty high priority that God has placed because we find it through all the New Testament, how that those were going about sharing and discipling and demonstrating love where maybe we would be more geared to criticize and more geared to judge, but the Christians were demonstrating love. Interesting. What about the priority that God has given us to grow in our walk, in our relationship with God? Well, how do we do that? By faith in Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what it looks like to grow. It looks like obediently doing what the New Testament says, putting off the old man and putting on the new. It's, it's growing in my, in, in my willingness to say no to me and yes to God's word and his spirit. Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, that's not a requirement to be a part of the family, but since I am a part of the family, certainly to put away the things that are contrary to the family and embrace the things that are taught by the family, well, that makes total sense. And it's a pretty big priority that we have on our life as followers of Jesus, not to be Christians, but because we're Christians. And then what about that particular calling that God adds to your heart or that particular commitment? See, there was a point in time when I knew that God had called me to do what I'm currently doing. Didn't look anything like what I'm doing. I've had all kinds of imagination. It's similar, but it's totally, it's different than what I expected, even the place. I never expected to be in Florida. But I'm doing what God called me to do. Now, I can tell you, I've interacted with a whole lot of folks that have at some point been confident that God had called them to something. But because of a circumstance, because of something, it got them off track. And now they're not following that path that they were prior excited and just tore up about. And they knew that that's what God had called them to. And, and, and now they're doing this other thing. And, and can I tell you, when I'm with them and when we're talking, here's what I recognize. They're miserable. You know why? Because they're not fulfilling what God's called them to do. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who's ever said, hey, I think God wants me to be a missionary and goes in and is a missionary and then comes home and says, I'm not sure. That doesn't mean that everybody who's not doing what they once said they thought they were supposed to do has walked out on God's call. Sometimes we're not real sure what God's call is. Or, or sometimes God changes. He has us doing this for a season and then that season is over and then he leads us in another direction. So you can't look on the outside of what others are doing 
But if God's called you toward a particular avenue of service and you're not following that track, it's not about what other people see or know. You know it. You know that, mm, you're right. I was tracking and it got hard. I was like, I can't do that. And I stepped out and, and I've been away from it now for, man, 10 years. Well, it's too late for me to get back on that. Heck yeah, 16 years. And then God shows up and goes, hey, so about that that I called you to do, you're not very satisfied in the role that you're in right now, are you? Things just aren't, you just always, you're, you, you, well, look, why don't you just get back on track with me? Because then you will experience the stirring and the movement forward. Or maybe it's a particular commitment. Who's your one? Now, if, if we're going to be honest, let's just be honest. Most of us who chose a one to pray about, we're real excited about it for the first 15, 20 days. And then something happened. Somebody got sick or, or something happened at work and I got an extra shift and something, you know, the thing that happened. And we kind of got off track and then we forgot. And then we got a little bit embarrassed because we forgot and we've been gone and we've been kind of hiding from God because I've been, I forgot to be on my one and praying for my one. And I just, you know, maybe if I just don't talk to him about it, he'll forget about it. And we go, you know, and God's like, look, I, I just want you to be engaged with Sharon and I'm fine with the who's your one campaign. Hey, what if we just, what if we just got back on track? And started day one or started day 18 because it may be another 40 days before you have a chance to share. But what if we just got back on track? Well, how, how about that? And we have that opportunity to go, really, Lord, you'd, you'd let me get back on track? I want you on track because that's where you'll experience blessing. Now, let me be real clear. The blessing that he promises followers of Jesus are not physical, nor financial, nor any type of prosperity. If he did, he owes the apostle Paul a big apology. What God promises to followers of Jesus is, hey, you, you know all of that, you know all of that physical blessing that I gave to Israel. You saw how, how when they obeyed me, there was blessing, and when they disobeyed, there was cursing. All right, look, I want you to bring that into the New Testament. And look, obeying me is about faith in the son of God who gave himself for you who was crucified in your place and for your sin was buried and was raised again obeying me is consistently and constantly by faith in Jesus and all that stuff that you saw physical blessing in part what that's going to be when Christ returns is far greater than you could ever fill your pockets with. But on the way there, it's going to be a way of difficulty and suffering and challenge, but it's going to be worth it because of what's being prepared for you there. 
So what we have in the realm of blessing, in, 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 the, in, in the blessing of God, is, is not tied to the physical. It's not tied to prosperity. And there are guys and gals out there telling folks, if you'll do this, if you'll say that, if you'll believe this, then God's going to give you your best year ever and your 401k is going to triple. And if it's not, then it's because you're not. Look, that's a bunch of baloney 2020 may be a horrible year for you but if you know Jesus as your savior and you're tracking in his calling with his priorities you know what God's word says you're doing you're laying up you're laying up reward in heaven that can't be affected by the markets and can't be stolen by the robbers. And, and you know what? If you've got a sickness and disease, know this. The one who died in your place and for your sin through his death and resurrection has guaranteed your resurrection. And when you experience that resurrection, anything physical that you've suffered in will be done and complete and over. You've got that look to, to look forward to. Just keep track with me and you know what God does in us when we track with him even though circumstances stink he stirs us in the spirit some of you are suffering and have been for a while for varying things and you're going God am, am I am I okay with you God says you're fine with me just keep tracking come on Come on, keep track. Now, you know, you can get sin in your life that needs to be dealt with, but you know, you, look, you're my child. Come on, come on. But God, I'm hurting. I know, I know, but that's only for a little while. Come on. But I can't do what I used to could do. That's okay. I can do more than you could ever do. You'd be surprised what I'm going to do through you in a time that you've not been able to do what you want to do. I'm going to do through you what I can do if you'll just keep tracking. Come on. And I think today would be a great opportunity for us to respond just like they did. To hear what God's word says and to go, hmm, <clears throat> yeah, kind of got off track. Here's what I know. Every one of us in the house today are off track somewhere. We're off track in some priority of our life. We're off track, why? Well, I didn't know I was off track, ignorance. We're off track, why? Well, I kind of got a little scared and I didn't think that I was going to be able to do and I let fear turn into distractions and apathy. Some of us are distracted. Some of us are doing and being and moving and shaking. And we're, I mean, we're doing all kinds of stuff in our life that are, that are connected to success or whatever it is that I think needs to happen. And we're pouring the energy and the resources to it. And you know what God's saying? Um, that's, that's great, I guess, but that's got nothing to do with the priorities I, I have for you. And we're pouring it in, thinking that somehow we're getting ahead. And actually, we're taking backward steps. Some of us are misplaced in our priorities because of unbelief. We just don't believe what God said, so we're out of whack. And we know it. Some of us are misplaced in our priorities because of apathy. It's just been so long that we just don't care anymore. You know what I think God says to all those? I think he says, look... If you'll just admit that you're off track, if as a follower of mine, through faith in Jesus, if you'll just admit that you've gotten off track, 
If you'll confess that as sin, that you're following your own, you're doing your own thing for a host of whatever reasons, but you're distracted and you've got off track. If you'll just admit that and say, God, I know that I just, I let myself get off track and, and I've been, I've just been living for me and I know that's sin and, and I know I've not been effective. If you'll do that, guess what? I'll put you on track and I'll stir you. I'll stir you today. It's not even the 1st of January. It's the, what is it, 5th of January? 5th of January, 2020, in the 12th year of Kevin's pastorate here in the first month of the fifth day, 2020. Wouldn't that be a great day for us all to go, yeah, I'm off track, because guess what? Every one of us are in varying ways. Yep, I'm off track. What would it look like if we just admitted to God where we're off track, just confessed it as, God, I just, I put me in front of you. I put what I want in front of what you want. But can I re-engage today? God goes, I'm with you. Let's get back on track. And we walk out of here with the joy of knowing that now we don't have to spend the next 24 to 48 hours waiting to see if God's going to be okay with me or not, but we walk out of here going, nope, I can, I can get back on track today. How cool would that be? How sad would it be for us to go, yeah. And some of us might wait 23 days, maybe, but let's don't. We know what God's saying to us. Let's just respond obediently. Agreed? And listen to this. If you're here today and you never trusted Jesus as Savior, it's as simple as this. Recognizing the depth of your sin and your inability to save yourself and coming to a place where you go, God, I can't do it, but I believe you did it for me. Through Jesus, in his death and resurrection, you did for me what I cannot do. And that's what I want. I want to be forgiven through Jesus. I want to be your child through Jesus. I want Jesus to be the one I follow. And I want his tracks to be the ones I'm walking in. And by faith, we come to know Christ forgiven of our sin, made alive, given a new destiny and all kinds of promises that relate to right now and in the days to come. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's about trusting him by faith. If you do, where have you gotten off track? And will you just respond and get back on track together? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for for your word. We thank you for your prophet, your people. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what he did for us that we could never do for ourselves. I thank you that it's because him, of what he did, that we can be forgiven, and we can be brought into, born into the family. God, I'm thankful that you are long-suffering and patient, but we don't want to presume upon that. We don't want to presume upon your grace. What you have shown us in our hearts today, where we have gotten off track, 
focused our energies on our thing rather than the priorities you've given us as members of your family. And I pray that you'll help us to see that. Help us to recognize, if possible, how we got off track, what it was that distracted us. God, I pray that you'll give us the courage to address that, to confess that. And then to, with joy, re-engage. On the fifth day of January, 2020, for your glory, for the building of your kingdom and your work and the opportunity we have to be a part of that. I pray you'll stir your people. You'll give us the courage to move toward you obediently. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody say it.